Hello and welcome to Let the Good Dice Roll, a exalted retrospective podcast where we ask the hard questions of hardcore RPG fans like, is Sylvando best boy? You already made it through that whole thing yet. You're just on a, after a thing happens that I'm not going to spoil for anybody listening who hasn't played it yet and has interest in listening. But he is great. He's kind of fantastic. If everything keeps going the way that it's going, Sylvando is definitely my 2019 best boy. Did you start that back in 2019? Yeah, I did. Oh, jeez. Well, actually, no. I, I started it actually in January, but that game came out in 2019. Okay. Okay. That's fair, then. That's fair. On the Switch. Technically, it came out in 2018 on the PS4. Okay. Wh- whatever. It, it's fine. It's all subject. January took six years anyways. So. Jan- yeah, January was like a whole six years off of my life. I am now almost 40. Don't don't make me think about that. I'm turning 30 this year, okay? Ugh. Anyways. Anyway, so Hi guys, this is Christina. And Brendan, obviously. Yeah. Um, there's yeah, this is episode 18. Um, and we are finishing up the first notebook of our Exalted Kings of Creation campaign. This is also this particular episode will be when we finish uh all the sessions before the time skip. Because there's a time skip that's going to happen. And then the next two episodes are going to be us. Recounting some in-between campaign. So, as we've mentioned before, uh, our friend Joe ran an Abyssal campaign that we both participated in. And those characters will be seen and heard about. Not really seen, because you guys can't really see them. But they'll be heard about after the time skip, and they do play a role in some bullshit. So, we're just going to talk about that campaign, because I have all the notes from that campaign that never finished. And, yeah, and I can give you what that, uh, Joe told me was the end of that, and also the, uh, what, and how that ended up affecting creation in the long run. Yep, because they or, are canon to the same time, so we wanted to do the, the, the Abyssal game, which I'm not gonna say the title just yet, um, one of the Abyssal campaign, so you know kind of what led up to some stuff that happened in the time skip, why certain things are the way they are. Mm-hmm. You want to get us started with our last two pages of this old notebook that's helped us out for the last four months however, five months however long however what, this long is episode we been, 18 yeah we, we do one every week four and a half months yeah four and a half months yeah there we go yep also this last page is just almost out of this notebook it's holding on by like pretty much a thread it's hold it's holding yeah. on but by, by sheer willpower and want to finish up this notebook pretty much Alrighty, so this session started on Sunday, June the 10th of 2018. Our group has taken the north, the south, and both groups meet up in the east to take the center. Of Jibay. Of Jibay, yeah. You have not actually taken the north. No. Because the north, because capital the, capital north is a place. I know. Unfortunately, they're capitalized in my notes because oh, I'm that great. person. <laughs> um, yes, because our group is still raiding Bay and trying to take all the points of it to eventually technically take it over slash conquer slash conquer and leave at peace, I guess is a good way to put it. Yep. Um, so we head to the center as a group with Tepid Arata because he is now our best buddy for a little bit. Uh, wayward, loudly sneaks us into the center 
uh, pass all the moves. Yeah, yeah, because there's a there's a spell that he can do where it's like I'm being loud, I'm being loud. You can't notice me so long and my group so long as I'm being loud. Go figure. It's the weirdest thing ever, but hey, it worked. Well, some of us happen to know that we've been spotted. Surprise. Yes, and because some of you cannot be surprised. Yep. Uh, AKA, I'm one of those people, a storm. So there is this guy in a red outfit with black short hair. He, he looks very strong, and he's definitely a Solar Dawn cast. Uh-huh. Uh, that comes out to fight us. Versus someone else. There's also someone else besides this dude here. It's K-Job K-Jack, which I always mispronounce, but it's fine. Yep. Uh, do you know what that that, uh, that guy in the red jacket with the black hair is based off of? Maybe, probably. He is hard based off of Alucard from Helsing. Okay. You guys, yeah. if, if things hadn't happened immediately in the first round of combat, it would have become very obvious very quickly. Gotcha. Well, so uh, we've got we've got this dude to handle, and then uh, K-Jop K-Jack is in... K-Jack? K-Jop K-Jack? K-Jop K-Jack. Tree-Jop Lumberjack, whatever. Tree-Top <laughs> Lumberjack, Umbach Nickelback, um, however the fuck you want to call him. Yeah, he is actually watching us up in the air. Um, so Percy is using his bullshit, I think it was command, his word of command at this mm -hmm. point. Yep. He uses that to incapacitate the solar for three rounds of combat, so all we have to do is just fight this fucking Sidereal, which, like Brendan said, great, we don't have to deal with him. That's fine with all of us. That really helped you guys out a lot. I do have the solar's name, which is The Bond, written off to the side. The, I think it's supposed to be The Bound. I'm actually It in is The Bound. I'm I am wrong. In the process I missed of... the U and didn't pay attention to the U being in that word. It is the bound. What you looking at? I'm literally looking up his uh, stat sheet that I wrote. Oh, yeah, it, it's it the is bound. It is Rossol the bound. I don't remember what Rossol stands for, but it's, um, I want to say it's like radiant anti-solar unit or something. Oh. He's actually a uh, da 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 da. da. Sorrow with Essence 10, who wishes for his own death. He is a terrifying foe of death and destruction. Rossol stats, HP, infinite. He has no negative health levels. Oh, this is his original, um, when you guys were original, when it, we were still doing, um, Oh, yeah. He yeah. has no, uh, negative health levels and dies when it's thematically appropriate. Dodge and parry equals 10 without charms. Soak and hardness are both 15. Rossol gets two rounds. Rossol only takes damage from solars, primordials, and things that were once solars. When combat starts, he begins to gather sorcerous motes and has all solar level sorcery spells. He also has all combat charms as his insane age has given him time to master everything a solar could possibly do in combat. Russell, uh, well, what? well, I probably should have put this over, but then again, we switched over to Godbound at this point. Russell is unable to be swayed into action by someone who is not the Mouth of Peace. If the Mouth of Peace dies, he enters into a catatonic state. In this state, he will not defend himself, will not defend himself, but will dream and sleep talk, wishing for death to take him. Yeah, I'm really glad you didn't uh, bring that over. So anyways, yeah, we were really glad we didn't have to deal with him for like three rounds or so, so we could just focus on this horrible, horrible Sidereo who was, you know, our, our homeowners association, uh, HOA mm -hmm. dude. Yep. Yeah. Eventually, like, I don't remember how that fight started, like, with Kajachi Cat, but I remember 
go running up a wall, jumping out, and like taking my hook swords and digging into him to try to bring him down to the ground. I know I hit him, but I don't remember what all else we did to him. Um, you guys fucked his shit up. Um, Tepetarata used his exalt killing spear. That would make sense. Um, the way that he, the way that it that thing is written is is that he throws it at whatever like celestial body that that celestial exalt gets um powers from and basically all exalts of that type are like are weakened for that scene and then he can come down and basically kill people with it i also have just pulled up chajop kjack's actual godbound stats Go ahead and read those off then. Uh, I don't. Fun of it. I don't remember what that his H what his HP total was because I actually have. Uh, I was just keeping track of it, so I have him as when you guys defeat him, he goes down to negative two. He has an AC of zero, which is fucking great. I mean, um, most of our group had an AC of zero. Most of the group had an AC of zero, but at this point, you guys were also only level five Godbound, I believe. So you were like mid tier. Yeah. Um, I did not give you guys a whole lot of levels for Godbound, unfortunately. Uh, I think we got up to, like, eight? Yeah. Maybe, at um, most? His saves were, um, for, for hardiness were eight, and all of his other ones were seven. He had an attack bonus of 12. He got two attacks that were 1d10 straight and, or 2d8 through the chart. He had a total effort pool of 26. That's disgusting. And his words were fate, time, luck, passion, and command. Gross. And then he also has charcoal merch of spiders. Fuck that shit. Fuck it. No. Um, so no. the reason that he's able no. to just float in the air is he's actually standing on invisible spiders, uh, like spider webs. I believe that with all his crazy, I believe. So how much of the actual combat do you have written down? <laughs> Not a lot of it. Okay, so. Literally. Literally, I just have that uh, he incapacitates the solar. We fight our sidereal HOA person. Eventually, uh, the solar comes out of his revelry and uh, is able to join the fray. We take down the sidereal. He uses his final uh, attack and ends up killing random mooks, and the solar basically turns to dust. That's all I really have. Right. Okay, so a lot of uh, what Charcoal Merch of Spiders allows him to do is it allows him to poison people and basically set them up for an ultimate kill attack. My favorite thing was being immune to poisons, even supernatural ones. I was the worst This one to try was, that bullshit off. Right. There was a lot of stuff like that that uh, kind of screwed me over by uh, because this was my first attempt at actually converting the martial arts, and specifically a sidereal martial art. I, I already had one uh, converted for you and one for Sergey, but that's because I was actually working off of a prior conversion that uh so that someone else had already done and posted yeah, up on the because we had to modify mine after a while because mm -hmm. we realized how broken the yeah. ultimate ability yeah. on it was so anyway to give you an idea of what that he can do so he has grandmother spider mastery which is commit effort for the day you can split yourself into multiple copies of yourself on every realm attacking everything you deem a target and can see or are aware of the presence of I don't have a comment for that. I just don't. It basically just lets him be everywhere for the rest of combat and attack anything that he wants. I just don't... I nope. 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 And then, the thing that would have screwed you guys, but I basically had it uh, pattern spider touch, commit effort for the day, turn your target into another thing. Elementals, plants, animals, an entirely new person, commit effort permanent. 
Oh, and then that's the commit effort for the day. You can also have the option to commit effort permanently. Unmake your target. When targeted with Pattern Spider's Touch, make three consecutive saves. Succeeding one negates the effects of this ability. You have to reflexively... You have to use, uh, what is it? Uh, what's not reflex, but... Uh, Tardiness, evasion, and spirit. It, yeah, so you have to make an evasion save to uh, dodge the attack. A uh, hardiness save to deal with the blow and come back from the damage. And a spirit save, if you failed those two ones, to make sure that your pattern doesn't dissipate into the wind. If target fails all three of these saves, they are... They are unmade in some way as pattern spiders course through their flesh or uh, or remade or in some cases unmade entirely. Basically, I was like, this is his ultimate attack. He's going to use this at the very end on all of them. Let And if someone manages to not succeed three fucking saves in a row, like, yo, like, you know, you, it's a, it's a good, it's a, if you're gonna get killed by anyone in canon, it's fucking change up Kjak. The other thing is, is that a lot of his other poison abilities make it so that you auto-fail one of those saves. So his entire, like, way of wanting to attack you guys is poison, 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 poison. Make sure that you can't actually save versus things. And then, and then unleash it. And then basically just TPK you guys. Yeah. But... Resistance to poison. But resistance to poison and... I think he ended up not going after me once he realized poison didn't work on me and tried to go yeah, after yeah. other people. Yeah, Once did he real... Because he's got... He's got... Pat he can see that the pattern spiders are not working on you. It's not like he just goes, Oh no, that didn't work. Because the way that Godbound works is like, you're aware when shit like doesn't work. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah. So that's that fight. Um, And then you guys end up beating him. And, and then the solar just turns to dust and, and is finally able to, to pass dust. on like he wants to. Yep. And then Storm takes uh, K-Jop's head and she now has the head of the bronze faction. Oh, by the way, that guy, the bound, mm -hmm. is the solar killing weapon that they were in the east to find. Ah. Not the spear. Mm. Okay. That makes sense then. Well, uh, so we've killed those guys. Uh, we've got Tepeta Rod on our side. We're slowly taking over everything. And things are going pretty well right now. Uh, you know, creation's just basically taking a turn for the better at this point. Yes, the reason for that was what was the reason why that you guys took over G-Bay. G-Bay is something called a directional control module, which I don't believe that we mentioned in the last episode. We've, we've mentioned directional uh, titans. We've mentioned directional titans, which are huge fucking Death Stars on creation. Yep. Directional control modules are things that actually can control and shift dragon, dragon lines. lines. Yep. yep. And that's one of the reasons why that things start going better for creation. Because yeah. you guys now have direct control and can shift, like, life-giving essence away from the Shadowland. Or towards the... Or, like, overflow a Shadowland with it to get rid of a Shadowland. Yeah, we can get rid of that famine. We can do all this other stuff now. So now that that's... Ta now GB is taken over... We start situating everything. Everything's going better. Uh, we return to the city. Ghost ends up coming by and uh, is kind of hiding from Luminous Arrow while she's there because she doesn't. I think she doesn't know Luminous Arrow. Yeah, she so doesn't want to. She does not. None of those abyssals want to have another potential. Want to have another visionary happen? Yeah. So she's kind of hiding, and Ghost is mostly, I think, interacting with Storm at that point because uh, that's kind of her point of contact. And we end up having some negotiations with Nexus. 
and decide that we're going to go and retrieve Swan Dragon after calibration. Kind of like, we've done good, let's take a reprieve, let's have calibration, let's relax, and then we can go and deal with more bullshit that right. we have to deal with. Uh, we find out that uh, K-Jop Chaniac is the scenario of secrets, so at this point, Storm's got battles, journeys, and secret skulls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I enjoyed my head collection. Right. It was great. <laughs> Calibration's coming up. Um, we know that Wayward's going to be having a battle with the Unseen Guardian, with with whatever. Um, Luminous Arrow invites the Unconquered Sun to Calibration, but we all are like, nah, he's not going to show up, whatever. Uh, Storm ends up inviting all her siblings and Five Days of Darkness to Calibration. Raldo invites the Lucky Pirates crew. And oh, you know what? We didn't mention the Lucky Pirates. Uh, I we mentioned we mentioned the Molusca Bay yeah, pirates, but not the lucky, the lucky pirates. Because I think Raldo wasn't there for some part of it. Probably. Um. So basically, in Exalted, what you can do is you can put uh, not in Exalted shit. In Godbound, you can put uh your dominion, which is like your godly power, into uh mortals or artifacts or places to kind of cause like superpowers and stuff to happen. So what Jake did with most of his dominion that he got was he imbued pirates with just luck. Just straight luck. And what this ended up doing for him was um, if anyone's seen uh, if anyone's familiar with Marvel Comics or has seen Deadpool 2, basically all of those lucky pirates turned into Domino. Yep. Where that like, oh no, our our transport like started flipping, but we all landed just fine, and the transport hit a crew in fr- hit hit a crew of bad guys in front of us. It's fine. Everything's it, fine. It was just like I don't want to say it was controlled chaos, but it was chaos that had a mute that had a good benefit for you guys. Yeah. Uh, Percival ended up inviting Tepid Arada and Tepid Java. Uh, Wayward decided that he did not want anyone from Thorns there. Uh, and then we invited Seeker, or, I'm sorry, Star and Seeker, even, apparently. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, because I think at that point we didn't know Seeker was dead, or at least, I think only Percival knew that Seeker was dead, if I Yeah, I think so. So we ended up inviting both of them. And that's actually the end of that session. Okay, now we have one more session, which I was reading over the top part of it. So I was reading over the top of this when we were going over the notes, and I'm so upset that you did not take notes for the weird, uh thing that happens at the very beginning of this session, um, which you should probably, uh, I guess, give the session date for. So, it was June 24th, 2018. It is calibration celebration time. And it is my birthday. Yep. My 31st birthday. So, Brendan decided to do some weird shenanigans um, for us for the start of this session. That you did not take notes on, and I'm so upset about because... I had one page left in this notebook. But there were such good names in there. And, like, everything on here is so crammed, it is going to be so hard for me to even read at some point. So, basically, what had happened for the beginning of it is that I gave them a... um, Oh, God, what the fuck is it called? A vision of their past. Yes. Of, of of one of their past selves, which is when they're all up in Yushan right before the big uh, 
basically before that they exalt, but the Sidereals know that they're going to exalt as Solars. So they're like basically trying to train them. It's a weird their... high school past life kind of thing. And like we learned that Raldo and Storm are the uh, are are the oh I'm gonna st- skip class and smoke by the girls' room and yeah, blah we, blah blah. We were those delinquents. You were you were the fucking delinquents. Like Raldo, I should have given Raldo a fucking pompadour, and he probably like wore his fucking school jacket with like on his shoulders, <laughs> like fucking. Like fucking delinquents do in anime. I, I'm that that kid that's like behind beside like the dumpster, like lighting up a cigarette and just smoking, and just be like, "Yeah, I don't care about this class. I'm only going to classes I fucking want to." I think that I had uh, Percival and uh, Talisman do a. Um, they did like drivers, ed, like drivers' ed for like <laughs> for, for like sky ships, and it was basically the uh, the episode of Dragon Ball Z where they where they have to get their drivers, where the Piccolo and Goku try and get their driver's license. But anyway, so like they kind of do this, and the, the the overall arcing thing of it is is that they go and basically learn about someone is a sidereal specifically is creating. Um, basically is creating the jade prison but it's basically made as um a device to kind of keep solar souls in check like basically it's like hey your last incarnation kind of sucks so we're gonna put it in the jade prison for a hundred years until you can learn to not suck go to detention for like 100 years until you learn how to do your schoolwork on time and listen to your teachers exactly and behave like a good student at least that's the original intent that the engineer did for it the unfortunate thing is is that that totally got modified and i think that i hinted at it that um they were they figured out at some point near the end of that vision that like something that like they knew that something was up yeah so anyway that was the cliff notes on something that had some like rad fucking skateboard tricks and bullshit happening to it. It was it was interesting because we're all kind of just like, "What are you doing, Brendan? What are you doing?" And I'm just playing like the Persona School music the whole time, and they're just like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Sure, we'll roll with this. Whatever, we'll figure it. Well, okay, why not? So after that happened, we get to calibration, which is not as detailed as the last time we talked about calibration because we were trying to, you know, finish the session up and all this other stuff. Also, multiple people had hangovers. Yeah, what's that like? Uh, Jake had a hangover because that was the time when the Jake was playing shot roulette, bitch. Yep. Yeah, we basically had Brendan's party. All of us stayed over that night, and then we played the next day. <laughs> Uh, and then a couple of us actually, because some people were getting actually tired. Craig, you, you, me, John, John, and Craig. Yeah, we all went out to, I think it was Waffle House. Yeah, we went out to Waffle House. And we House. took our character sheets and our dice. We just took over a table. We just played out the end of it. It was kind of crazy and ridiculous, but it was a nice way to, like, send them off since they, this was going to be their last session. Yep. So, the first day of calibration, Mars Day, there are no abyssals, uh... And the Molusca Bay Pirates, I don't know if they were there or not. I just have them listed down here. Um, they, were, they were probably there. They, they have now started to become a big enough thing that they were there. Yeah. So we have Raldo and Diego that are in War Striders. Um, and strange feelings are awoken as Raldo and Diego both got the Venus charm in the cupcakes. <laughs> There's eventually at some point a Tyrant Lizard, which I believe is the Baroness, making out with one of the War Striders. Don't ask me these No, things. no, no. It was, uh, it was Sergey. 
was he as a tyrant lizard? Yes, yes, he was. Oh my god! Because gosh. you have you have to get a kiss from the from, yeah, from the people of Venus. From, yeah, from both people of Venus to have luck. So with he love. had to make out with the War Striders because he had to what, make out. With that them. is he what just, Jake said. He just had to kiss them or get a kiss from them. <laughs> Roto, please give me this luck. <laughs> so that happened on the first day of Mars. Um, the second day, which was Mercury for Journeys. Um, there's pranks and kids impersonating the solar circle. Uh, Star ends up losing Mars to Surefire, who then loses it to Digby. <laughs> Next is day three, Jupiter Secrets. Just the normal secret keeper stuff, um, where everybody tells them their, their secrets and things like that. But you, the guy... guys, you guys did not perform a 9-11, I believe, at this point. No, we didn't have to. Everything's great now. Okay. Um... But, and the guy does actually not hang himself this Yeah, time yeah, because he doesn't get, like, an earth-shattering secret revealed to him. Who would have ever done that? I think John did. I want to say that John is the one who revealed the secret the first time. Yeah, I don't remember what my secret was from the first calibration of the storm. Then, day four, Venus of love. There's orgies at a party, and Storm goes on a date with Sergei and finally gives him a kiss on the lips... See? Kissing the War Striders worked. <laughs> it worked! You say that, but I already had that planned anyways. It still worked, technically. Sure, let's go with that. Day five, Saturn. Endings. Oh, boy. So Storm has candles out and pictures of those for remembrance, like she does, because she follows the Maiden of Endings. That's kind of her big day of the five days for her in particular. Uh... The opera is going to be played. The full opera at this yes. point. The full opera that has been hinted at for 18 fucking episodes. Yep. So we all go to the opera house. Talisman notices a, sh notices a shadow on the ceiling and points it out to Storm. And Storm just whoops up to pursue it. And Talisman actually ends up going after someone in a plague mask. I think she believed it was... Uh, um, Not Plague of Trust, uh, no, Surgeon. Surgeon, yeah, I was like, I can't think of his name right now. Too many names. Roldo uh, notices a skeletal man, which is Voice. Mm -hmm. Percy ends up noticing Author. So Percy goes after Voice, for some reason. Uh, Roldo goes after Author. I don't know why they decided to switch, but they did for some reason. Right. <laughs> and, I don't know, but... Um, Surefire and Sergei go after Will. So at this point, all of the Mask of Winters, the Bissell Circle, are there somewhere, kind of like hiding out, and we've found, I think, all of them. And, the, and this point. is all in uh, the Wayward's house. Opera House. Yeah, yeah, Wayward's Opera House. All of them are here to stop the opera, actually, because it's been set, blatantly said before, I think by voice, uh, that he can't let this opera go on. Like, this opera cannot happen. So they are here on orders to stop the opera. Mm-hmm. Surprise, the Solars end up being the Abyssals, but not, like, murder them. We're not here to murder them, so we knock them out systematically. Yeah, you, you guys knock them out. The big thing that you guys noticed up in the shadows was whoever was up in the shadows. I want to say it was... It was uh, Ghost was one of them. One, that's the one, one I of went them. after. It was, it was like, there was, like, two of them up there, and I want to say that one of them was... One of them was Author, because he's the big strong. Yeah, um... I know one was Ghost because that's the one I went after. That was the shadow mm -hmm. that Talisman saw. Right. Um, but Author is above the rafters with basically like a giant weight 
and he's going to like use yeah, it to crush because Wayward. Because per- Percy and I both went up into the rafters and went after them. I took on Ghost. He took on Author. We knocked both of them. That, out. That's why Percy went up there because I think Percy had might. Yeah, I think that might be the reason why. Um, so we and knocked. You, you we knocked needed them a big out. strong. We we knocked them out because we're just like we're not trying to kill you guys. We get that you're trying to stop this opera. We're kind of hesitant about what's going to happen with it too. That's why we are all present present for once. Because usually it's only like one or two of us here. Because we're like, eh, it's just pieces of the opera. Whatever. Let's see what happens. But this time, like, no, we're all going to be present. We all want to see what happens, even though we all and, kind of had an idea of what it was going to do, anyways. And, um, uh, yeah. so at this point, um, also the reason that Wayward's not going after an abyssal is because he's putting on a performance. Yeah, but we've got enough people to go after people. So Wayward gets through the third and fourth part of the opera, um, and at that point, our group decides to clear out some of the opera house and end up warning the people who decide to stay that something's going to happen, so you are staying at your own risk. I think that most of the people fucking left. Yeah. Uh, we end up keeping Surgeon and Ghost tied up. Oh, we kept Surgeon and Ghost tied up and killed the other three abyssals of the Mask Winter. That's what the notes say. Oh. Yeah. Cause I well, wa- that's... Because um, I wasn't about to kill Ghost. That's uh, problematic for later on when they show up again. Yeah. Well, eh. eh. Things happen. Um, they probably just... Dusted into they 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 he got sucked back into the shadows and took back. Yeah, yeah we'll go with that. Yeah, let's go with that. Well, uh, so we realize shit's going on as you know. I was also op- incredibly tired, so like I and then like we had to shift places and everything. Shift places and find new players and like yeah. Well, so at this point, as the opera is coming to a culmination. Um, the two that we left alive, air quotes around that, however you want to put it, uh, Ghost and Surgeon are like, we can't be here, we can't be here, this is bad, we need to get out of here. So Storm's just like, alright, cool, and, uh, I think it was Raldo, grab Surgeon, I grab Ghost, and we just huck them outside of the opera house. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're like, clearly you can't be here, you don't want to be here, we know something's going on, huck them outside of the opera house so they're not in there. Storm's like, I'm out, fuck this shit. Mm-hmm. Raldo follows me, Sergey follows me, and we leave, and Percy gives me shit for leaving. But that's fine. Um, but basically, we leave as Delilah is basically unlocked as uh, the maiden under the waves or beneath the waves. Uh, yeah, so basically the uh, the whole thing... Ha- I know that we haven't really talked a whole lot about Delilah, but she's always been a snarky, do the opera, do the opera. Like, almost every session is just do the opera. Like... Why aren't you working on doing the opera, Wayward? This, is, this isn't your path, blah, blah, blah. And, like, is trying to get him to do it because the opera is her way because um, we've mentioned um, Avatar silos uh, for alchemicals. Yep. Well, her ghost body was essentially the equivalent of an Avatar silo. Yeah. Uh, so once the fifth and final piece of the opera is finished, Delilah resurrects as the maiden beneath the waves. And we all knew, we, I think everyone out of character knew what was going to happen, and most people in character knew something bad was going to happen. The Maybe only, not, like, the only the person who didn't guess it, but knew by that session, was John. But because of things that happened, I actually had to take John aside before, 
uh, like weeks before the game to explain to him what was going to happen and get some uh, some idea of like where that he was going to go when a speech was said to him. So then we could plan it out. Yeah, I think we all do out of character what was going to happen with that. Because it's the only thing that made sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I wasn't going to just be like, no, and like backtrack on that because it literally wouldn't make sense. There would be so many like plot threads that would just be like hanging and like would make literal no sense. Which is why like the, the fucking Crimson King... Um, actually That's not actually what tipped my hand on to figuring it out was when the, we found out the crimson king was wayward son and that delilah was probably the mom and the crimson king worked for the main beneath the waves that's when i fully figured it out okay you know what honestly that's a that's a good time to figure it out and i like that that's the point at which you figured it out because that's like probably the biggest that, that was hint. when i was positive that and that I was like, if Brendan doesn't go this way with this, I'm going to be pretty surprised. Mm -hmm. I don't, I like it when the people, like, I, I'd like to have surprised you, but at the same time, like, still good on you for figuring out the twist. Like, that's, that, to me, the, the fact that you didn't, that you weren't positive that that was the case until that got dropped actually says a lot that I was pretty good about laying crumbs down for you, but, like, you couldn't, like, say definitively that, yes, this is the like, case. Like, I knew there was something weird going on with Delilah and the opera. I wasn't sure exactly what. I was like, well, if she ends up being the maiden beneath the waves, that makes sense, but I might just be making too far of a leap here, so I'm not going to read too much into it, because I, I do that. I'll read too much into something. I was like, well, it could be this. But let me see what else happens with it. Okay. So, so uh, at this point, you've got most of the people, most of the solar circle in the opera as, you know, she arises the main beneath the waves. Uh, Storm, Raldo, and Sergey are outside, and they've thrown Ghost and uh, <clears throat> Surgeon out because Surgeon's talisman's closest out. Like, Ghost, Ghost and Surgeon are the people that have bonded the closest with the circle. Storm didn't want to kill Ghost, and Talisman didn't want Surgeon dead. Right. So that's the only reason we kept those two out of the five alive. Um, uh, and so once they exit the opera house, who do they see walking up towards us but the maiden beneath the wave solar circle? Well, abyssal circle, I mean. Yeah, abyssal circle. That's what I meant was abyssal circle. Um, so to give an idea of the speech that she basically gives to John, it's basically that the world is fucked they screwed over the unconquered son. I'm not going... Basically, she's like, I'm not going to touch you, Shan. I'm going to let the gods live in harmony and peace. But what I am going to do is I'm going to um, basically scour creation so that we can all start anew. I'm going to break the Jade Prison. And um, we are going to, like, when they... When they basically, the, when the gods remake humanity... And the solars come back, it will be a new first stage for all of us. It's a very, like, it's not... It's a very stereotypical, like, scorch the land and start anew. Yes, yes, it's a very, this world is fucked. We, the, only, the only way to do it is to hit the fucking reset button. And, like, yeah, it, like, it's a... It's a very commonly used trope, but it because, makes sense. Because, it, yeah, it's a very commonly used trope, but it makes sense because you're basically giving... The, you're giving the enemy, um, good, their motives are good. They want to fix the world. 
the way that they're going about it is completely fucking wrong. Yeah. But yeah, so like I, I had given that speech or the the bare bones of that speech to John at work one day, and he was like, "Yeah, considering that I'm going to be leaving, and also that uh, Wayward is hopelessly in love with Delilah, like he would follow." Like I literally gave John the option of, "Do you follow or don't you?" Because I knew that him and Craig were leaving. Yeah. And if he said, no, I'm not going to follow, fuck that, he would have had a bigger role to play as an NPC, as an NPC aide for you guys. Yeah. But since he was like, no, this makes sense, I'm going to go with her thing, I'm still not convinced after everything that, we're, that we've done that we're not in the wrong. That was one of John's defining intimacies, was not sure if we're the bad guys. Yeah, I remember. I remember that being a thing for him. And it's just like, you're not entirely wrong, we aren't great people. Uh, we're really not. Like, solars are trash. And that's a big thing for Storm later on, too, that gets brought up. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a very interesting way, which I do wish that conversation had been recorded, but I also wasn't trying to take up all the session and have people metagame right. that conversation yeah. either. So that would have been a hard thing for people not to metagame. Yeah. Let's finish up these notes so we can get a question or two in. So, we, like I said, we come out and the whole Abyssal Circle's there. You've got Dancer, you've got the Crimson King, you've got Shadow Throne, uh, Jester. you've got Jester, and you've got, what was, uh, what was The Wanderer of Rhodes Long Dead. Yes. Which was Seeker at this point. So, apparently, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong in this, uh, when Plague of Trust got into Yushan, and was about to kill Seeker, he put the mask on and became her, uh... Her abyssal. Bristle, her abyssal to save himself. Yep. Because Seeker's a very, uh, selfish person. Yeah. And Storm recognized him right away, immediately went full, fuck you, smite. And all the other abyssals are like, ha that's your problem. We're gonna go not this way. That's your problem, newbie. You can, like, deal with that, and if you win, you can come back and we'll give you some power. He did not win. He definitely did not win. Uh, there, there was a lot of emotions going through my head as Storm. The main one was, oh, I see how this is. I'm done. And she just fucking murdered him at that point. And then um, Wayward does a thing, if you want to explain what Wayward does. Wayward activates the artifact level NA amulet that he has that turns him from the Wayward Son into the magical girl Wayward Son with superpowers and cannons, and he's basically a small war strider. And at this point, we're all in fucking Waffle House, so none of this is actually recorded. Yeah. Um, and we're just kind of, like, role-playing out this scene, and John has all of his stuff, and, like, you guys are fighting against him, and it's just like... Well, they're fighting against him. I'm not. Yeah, they're fighting against him, and then I think that he, like, come... Yeah, he, like, hits Percy with a, like, killer beam, but instead of it doing what the Maiden Beneath the Waves wants it to do... It actually is kind of a, like, a reverse tractor beam. Like, he just sends him off. Well, we all get sent off. All the solars in that group got sent off to other places. 
Storm ended up in the Feywild. Yes, Storm ended up in the Feywild. And before she left, she grabbed Seeker's mask and, like, is literally, I think, she lifted it up and then disappeared, like, right in front of Raldo and Sergei. Right. Uh, Sergei uh, basically dips out of the way. Um, Raldo goes to the west. Talisman and Percival actually get transported to Autothon. Mm-hmm. I think that's everyone. Because we don't have Luminous Arrow anymore. Yeah. I feel like I'm forgetting someone, but I don't think we are. No, we're not. Yeah, Because no. Wayward can't go anywhere. Yeah, Wayward's his own person at this point. <laughs> not really. But... Not really, but he's his own person. Yeah, so all mo- some of us get just teleported. Some of us run off, and... Then a time skip happens because that's the end of that book. That's the end of uh, us having John and Craig there. No more uh, Wayward and Percival as PCs anymore. Now they're NPCs. Yeah, so um, to give just an idea of where that I got inspiration for this being the... Technically, this is uh, the, the, the two-thirds point through the campaign, but it was supposed to be the halfway mark of the campaign. Or the final boss fight, depending on, like, where the, you guys were at. Yeah. If, if John and Craig had, stay, had stayed along for a while more, um, this actually would have been the final boss fight. Would have been you guys summoned her, but you guys are already powerful enough solars that you can take on a Death Lord. So your goal is to... A, new, be- a newly reincarnated Death Lord. Yes, a, new, a newly reincarnated Death Lord. It would have been rough, because her plus it, her circle... It would have been fucking rough, but it would have been doable at higher levels. But because that we had to kind of change stuff around a lot of the, like, that's why it's like we started off with like, oh, yeah, everything's going better. And like, you guys are fixing the world. And like, I think that my plans after that were for you guys to go to the south and start dealing with the first and forsaken lion stuff. And for you guys to start dealing with um, stuff in the east and then eventually take on the blessed isle. And then once the world was done or once the world was united, Basically, that's when that John would have found the fifth and final part of the opera. And basically, then you guys would have initiated the final boss fight. Yeah. we wouldn't, It wouldn't have expedited as much as it did had but, they not been leaving. But because I had expedited, the game kind of changes and I went, okay, well, how can I change this for a big... Basically, like they're, basically at this point, like... Julia wasn't feeling Talisman anymore because crafting in Godbound is nowhere near as fun as crafting in Exalted 3rd Edition. And John and Craig were leaving, and Devin had dipped out, so, like, I was losing players left and right. So I needed to find a way to introduce to new players um, the world and, like, but not also have it be, hey, you guys have, like, fixed everything, so my... Uh, so my solution to this, which I think worked to mixed success, but did not work with everyone, was basically pulling a Final Fantasy VI and turning it to the world of Ruin. Um, where they basically, spoilers for, you know, a fucking 24-year-old game, but you make it to about the halfway point of Final Fantasy VI, do a, do a couple boss fights, and then the main and then the main bad guy fucking wins. So yeah, so that's the first notebook of Exalted. Do you think we have enough time for questions? Yeah, I think we can do questions. All right then. So we've got time for one question, which again comes to us from Jesse. And I am pulling it up right now. So this is something that is specifically at both of us um, because of our LARP ex- because of our LARP experience. Um, and it is So both of you have or are currently role-playing characters in a romantic relationship. 
What made you decide you wanted to RP that dynamic at a LARP? You go first, because I can talk on this for a while. Well, that's just not fair. Then I don't get to talk a lot. Well, all right. Just start out. Maybe you can... Because uh... you've had more characters than me, who I assume have had... Every single one of my characters has had a romantic relationship to some capacity. Okay. Okay, so what made me want to uh, have a relationship in character? I think that having a character that denies feelings of affection and romance, um, like, as a point of roleplay, especially when that they're played by me, who is a very emotional person, um, kind of, uh, well, it, it's like you're cutting off a part, a piece of the character just to, just because just of the Just to LARP, avoid it. Just to avoid it. And I don't want to do that. Um, it would have been, uh, it would have been also fine, like, if he was, like, a hopeless romantic who didn't d do anything, but, like, I just kind of stumbled into bullshit. I'm trying to- <laughs> And a shotgun wedding. And a shotgun wedding, technically. But basically, I... I roleplay characters that have romantic ties, and I actually really, in, like, you see this a lot in tabletop. Like, I had, you, you and Julia both had lunar mates. Um, it's because I like romantic interactions, personally, to some degree. But, like, I do that with a lot of, uh, a lot of characters, uh, especially when I'm GMing. I will be like, hey, do you care if there's, like, romance that happens? No? Okay, cool. No, you don't want that to happen? Okay, cool. We're not going to do romance for you. Do you want romance at all? Okay, cool. Yeah, that'll happen. It's, it's one of those things that I feel like if it's not there without a good reason, like, it doesn't make the character feel real. Because, like, there's always going to be someone that's hitting on you or, you know, trying to butter you up or something like that. Like, it makes it feel real. Okay, so, um, we've kind of talked about why that we would do it, but maybe we should, uh, talk about the actual romantic relations that our characters have had. Do you want me to just go through, like, some of mine and then you can talk about yours and then I'll go back to mine, or...? Yeah, because you, you have, like, how many to get through with Doe? Uh, well, okay. <laughs> that's that's a whole bag of uh, that's whole bag of beans uh, to talk about. Uh, let's just start with um, actually, it's a thing that happens with all my LARP characters. Uh, so let's just start with Tawny because that was my first. Well, okay. So I've been LARPing since I think I was nineteen. Um, I did kind of a backyard style LARP with my friend who was trying to build one. Um, and that character was a general of technically the air quotes evil army and didn't really have time for a romantic relationship and just the way that LARP went, it wasn't a thing. Um, so I'm going to talk about my Avalon experiences. So my first character for that was Tawny, who was a Gurnai. She had a lot of suitors. Um, and she ended up about a year into me playing, marrying, uh, Kylik, who was at the time the king of the Gurnai. And that relationship, like, they very much were in love, and Mike and I, like, were good friends out of character, and one of my big things for LARPs is, if you want to have an in-character romantic dynamic with someone, and they have a significant other out of character, make sure it is okay with a significant other. And his, uh, girl, I think they're, yeah, 
girlfriend at the time, didn't care. He, she would refer to me as uh, Mike's other life wife. She gave no, <laughs> she gave no fucks about it. Yeah. Um, and so it worked for us. And the dynamic was really great because we both understood each other's characters and like the motivations. We wouldn't even have to say each other, say things half the time, and we can go and do our own things and be like, be careful, like. We would do things for each other. Like, it was a very good relationship uh, on a lot of levels. And also because Mike and I were good friends out of character, so we, like, talked about things in and out of character and kind of worked on it. Um, unfortunately, he moved away to go and teach over in China, and so the characters, because they weren't able to interact, kind of drifted apart. And in Gurnai culture, you only stay married so long as you're in love. So Tawny's just like, I'm not in love anymore. You're not really around. I feel kind of alone, and I don't think this is working anymore. So he was just like, cool, I understand. I was like, I'm sorry, it's for an out-of-character reason. It kind of sucks, but I mean, we were chill about it. Right. And there was also someone kind of moving in on Tawny in character while she was still married. And so after they got a divorce, there was a little while, and they started building up a romantic relationship. Okay. Um, and then stuff happened, and... That didn't work out. And so for a while, she just was kind of on her own, doing her thing. And uh, there was a lot of joking around with, like, she was going to run off with this other person. But that person was in a romantic relationship with one of the town leaders. And it was a running joke, like, mm -hmm. even while she was married. Uh, we used to be like, Roddy, you and I should just run away. We'll leave Tomar and Kylik behind. We can go and create our own empire. Everything like that. It was just a running joke. And it was hilarious. And nobody cared. And Roddy was a girl, by the way. I don't care. Tawny was, uh, was bi, leaning more towards men, but she had, like, women that she would hit on, too. It didn't matter. Um, and so she actually got an apprentice named Ridian, who she was trying to teach uh, some things to, and they ended up building a very interesting relationship that kind of turned towards a very protectiveness, towards kind of a romance at the ending of it. And then Avalon ended, and they never... And, like, the person who played that character, Kurt, and I just came up with some shit off-screen of what happened to him. They ended up, like, getting married and having kids and off-screen and everything like that and just living kind of a happy life. Mm -hmm. uh, then you have Vera, who was my much darker character. Uh, she also had a lot of suitors, but she was very, like, kind of racist and elitist and would only ever marry an old tech. Um, and she eventually... You know, got courted by an old tech who was a friend of mine, out of character also, also named Michael. And he was also dating somebody at the time, so checked with them, made sure it was fine. Did an in character relationship with them. They ended up getting married after basically being engaged for like two years. Uh, and their relationship was very weird, because he was kind of a dark character leaning towards more of a good side. He was more of a, not lawful evil, but more of a lawful dark Okay. I don't, I'm not really sure how to explain it other than that. Uh, Vera was very, like, chaotic dark. Um, like, you guys are going to do good things, but, like, you're going to go about them in, like, the most, the best way I can put it is the most efficient way possible. That was, that was kind of his thing. But he cared more about how people thought of him and, like, doing it kind of the right way. Whereas Vera's just like, what's the most efficient way to get this done? Are there going to be any casualties? Is it worth the loss? Sure, let's do it then. Like, Vera just didn't care. And being married to Hariza after a while, like, 
his thoughts were kind of rubbing off on her and she was starting to become a little bit of a better person, cared a little bit more about how people thought about her, reached out a little bit more and became more involved in the community. So like through their relationship, she kind of evolved into a little bit of a better person, but she was still not the best person. Um, but she was getting there. Like, if Abaddon had progressed, she probably would have gotten a little bit more out of her tendencies and gotten a little bit more into, like, oh, this is gonna hurt some people, maybe there's a better way to go about this, instead of just barreling through and just not giving a fuck. Right. I'll take over. I was gonna say, you wanna, you wanna talk about, uh, Charlie and Kendra? And Actually... Then, and then I can go back to... To Dill, I guess? Actually, what I was going to say is is that I did have one other LARP character who made it to level 6, named Bandini, and the closest thing that he had to any kind of romantic relationship was he had a bro crush on um, on uh, Wes's character, Xandric. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Xandric was actually the... Uh, besides Teresa, was the other strongest suitor trying to buy for Vera. Yeah, he had a super hard bro crush on Xandric. Because, like, I... I don't know if it was just Wes, because me and Wes had never, me and Wes had met like once or twice before I started playing Avalon, but had never really interacted much. And then I started playing Avalon and he was just like, hey, little Sempty, do you want these things? Do you want these things? Hey, little Sempty, I'm here to help you. Do you want to, do you want to do stuff? We're, we're here to help. What's up, buddy? And like, he was always there for me whenever I had problems. And it was just like, you're like my bro crush. What the fuck's going on? I did not expect this character to go this way. The other the other bro crush that he had was on a Bree. <laughs> I fucking love a Bree. Yeah. Yeah, he to totally Paul's character's great. To totally had a crush on Paul's character. Um as far as Charlie and Kendra's relationship went, yo, if you'd seen those those two interacting in the first, let's see, 1 Which 2 I did. 3 in the first 4 in the first four events. Uh, events, you would think that they fucking hated each other. Now, I think that one of the things that really snapped it off for me... My um, favorite was you guys literally, like, pointing guns or daggers at each other and, like... Mm -hmm. Just yelling at each other because we're vying for someone else's attention. And what ended up happening was... I think that my wife, Julia, uh, started uh, dating... Uh, uh, her character Crow started dating someone else, and this for some reason hit off like this. Let's start shipping everyone and pairing off. Like yeah, well, thing. It, it became that time of the year, and as LARPs evolve, people start to kind of pair off, develop relationships. Like, yeah, let's give a romantic relationship a shot. And it was starting to become that time where, like, oh, they're a couple. Oh, they're a couple. Oh, they're a couple. Right, and no one like I specifically wrote Charlie's backstory as like. He's not going to, like, want to fall in love. He's been heartbroken before to such an extreme degree that one of his biggest fears is falling in love. And it turned into this weird, like, there was a point where that me and her kind of apologized about being dicks to each other. And then through online roleplay and just kind of talking, like, realized that they were kind of really compatible. And eventually we ended up having, like an online in-character date and then like an actual like in-character date at a, at an event and it turned out really well um for the both of them and one of the things that I really liked about their dynamic at least starting off was that I'm playing kind of like this anti-hero like he's still trying to be a good guy and be in the good graces of everyone around him but he's never doing anything the right way he wants to do everything as efficiently as possible and just get paid and like hey if 
what I do turns out well, then good job. But if not, well, like, fuck off. I don't care. And the way that the way that Brit played Kendra is a very she was super hard Sundari. <laughs> she she was the most hard Sundari fucking like notice me senpai, but don't notice me. How dare you notice me senpai? And like was just like like like. Like Christina was just saying that, um, like there were points where that me and her would have like daggers and guns pointed at each other because we were pissing each other off, and it's like one of those like there's clearly a connection here, but is it bad or is it good? Yeah. And this eventually evolved into us literally getting shotgun wedding because of my own personal plot, and then getting married. Now where you guys are, you've been married almost a year this yeah, June in character, I think. Yeah, uh, July. July, that's yeah, right, this, July. Yeah, this July, uh, those characters will have been married for almost for a year. And it's... It, it's a relationship <laughs> that is evolving. And I like to think that I try to keep a character constantly evolving as the times change. And I think that... There are points where that I want to shake Brit. Not really Brit, more Kendra. Uh, I'm sorry, Ken Kendra, not Brit. I do not want to shake Brit. That would be mean. She is so tiny. She's only, she's only like five foot nothing, and if she listens to this, she'll probably scream at me. I'm five foot two or three. I can't remember which. I don't. I don't remember which. It's like two foot three or something like that. That's how <laughs> big. That's how big her gobber is. I know that for a fact. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it's one of those things where the, I see the relationship going forward, but, like... Is it in a good way or a bad way? There are branches where that it could go a bad way, and there's a point where that... And I've... I'll go on record saying this, where that if, if it ever gets to the point where that uh, those characters need to break up, um, and it's not on amicable terms, like, I would probably go to staff and be like, hey, I don't want to roleplay this out. I don't want to... Um, have Brit have to roleplay um, having a divorce happen. I think that that's fucking mean, and I don't want to do that. We come to LARP to have fun. I understand that, like, drama happens, but, like, if, if that ever became, like, a thing, that's how I would go to staff and tell them, it's like, hey, I'm going to perm Charlie. The, the, like, I cannot, I cannot in good conscience add a character force someone to roleplay this. Oh, that's the thing. When uh, Tawny and Kyla got a divorce, it was very, it was, it was agreeable. Yeah. Everything was fine with it. Yeah, and like I, I don't want to role play that out because I've had, like, I've had to deal with that in real life. I don't want to deal with that in my fucking fake life. Yeah, it's understandable. I, I, I can deal with death in my fake life. I can deal with uh, loss and tragedy and like getting murdered over and over again and like having to learn how to be better at combat. But I do not want to deal with that that is one of my like nah hardline bro nope not doing it that's fair that's entirely fair uh i guess i should talk about doe so like i said is is very common with my pcs for some goddamn reason uh doe had a lot of suitors also more or less um she had she had this weird not relationship protectiveness with two other characters who ended up leaving the game. Uh, she ended up going out on a date with uh, Shakuras, like a tea date, and then the next event, due to out-of-character reasons, the, the player left. 
um, she had Tommy confess to her, and she's like, I, no, bro, I don't see you like that. I also asked you out on a date after, yep. after the love Char- dog hit everyone. Char- Charlie also asked Doe out on a date. Uh, Tortoise asked Doe out. Uh, I feel like I'm forgetting someone. Ty? No, Ty never asked her out. Um, Basil, I don't know. I'm just naming no, no, names no, no, no. at this point. It's, it's fine. Uh, I feel like Kabe got close to it, but I don't think it ever came to that. So I, I remember talking to uh, Shakuris and I think Kambe at one point, and they both admitted that they liked me when they first met me, but it never went anywhere for Kambe. I don't know. I'd have to talk to, talk to you know, Kambe's player and figure all that out. But that's not important. Uh, and so the funny thing with all that is Tommy permed. Um, Cobra and Badger left. Mm-hmm. Shakuris left. Um, Tortoise is still around. Charlie's still around. Mm-hmm. But that's a lot of people to like leave, even if it's for out of character reasons. And then you have her most recent person, who she actually, you know, like this is my boyfriend Panther, who, due to decisions made, can no longer play his character anymore. His character he has is permed. effectively permed. Yeah. So, in Doe's mind, she's just like, well, I finally gave it a shot. I, she at least warned Panther that this is this is a reoccurring trend. But at this point, Doe's just like, why do I even bother? Like, something bad always happens to someone I try to, to have a relationship with, or someone who even likes me. I don't think it's safe to even have a relationship anymore. So she's in a very weird spot right now with when it comes to, like, relationships and stuff oh, like yeah. that. Yeah, so. I can imagine. Because, like, that's, what, six, seven people? Yeah. And only two are still around? Um, so it's a very weird spot, and I don't know how I'm going to deal with that as her in the future of if anybody shows an interest, she's going to be like, hard stop, don't, find someone else, save yourself. Or or, or if Tortoise <laughs> or me perm, and then you're like, see, the curse was just slower acting on them. Yeah, because she stopped them quick enough that it wasn't a thing. But then I could say the same thing for Tommy. She told she turned Tommy down like when he had that conversation with her. Yeah. So that's a thing that I that I will deal with as Doe later on and figure out if a romantic relationship is ever going to be a thing for her. Like if she's even going to bother attempting that. Yeah. But I I like having romantic relationships because it gives you someone to care about. Because even even if you care about other PCs, it gives you someone to have that close connection to and kind of keep an eye on and give you and emotions sometimes, and, and sometimes stuff. keep an eye on you. Yeah, it gives you it gives you a connection to people, mm-hmm. and I I think it's really interesting because it's it's a part of life. You do like people, you do fall in love, and having that at a LARP makes it feel real. Right. Even if a lot of people do do LARP to kind of get away from their real life. There's, like, certain aspects of real life that should still exist in LARP and still be active and fulfilling, I feel like. Right. And romantic relationships are one of them. Mm -hmm. It's also a nice way to keep yourself grounded and also to be like, is this a dumb idea, my other half? And then your other half just goes, yes, it's a dumb idea, please don't do the thing, because I couldn't bear to lose you. Yeah. Sometimes having that closeness with other people can make you realize that. And I'm not excluding, like, because, like, Doe and Tawny and Vera all had close friends that she took advice from maybe not there as much as everybody else but like she still had people she went to was like i have this dumb idea tell me it's either a dumb idea or help me plan it better and like there's that but there's just something about like the person you're in love with or have a romantic relationship with a character being like please don't do this please 
Right. Or I will sit and go with you on this or things like that. All right. So that should wrap that up. Um, we'll get to more questions next time because we did not put as much thought into uh, some of them as we should have. Some of them are hard. Like some of them it's, are it's, really it's, hard. It's like that's even, good. It's but... not even like. Okay, so for some of them, it was like I could I have to go through almost since like 2011 and think of things that fit this interest. It's a lot of years to think about and try to remember everything. And I can come up with multiple examples. I don't want to sit and try and rattle off ten different things to people that would cover, like, the span and the scope of the question. So, um, for Paradise Lost Podcasting Channel, uh, we hope you guys enjoyed this. Um, please remember to like, comment, subscribe, share, tell your friends, tell your dog, tell anyone who has a uh, Spotify or iTunes. Dude, if your or, dog has a Spotify. Right. Hit us up on Twitter um, at GMCrow1 for Julia and a, a pair of dice lost for me. Um, I try to post pictures or at least updates on everything. And when I tell people that I'm going to be late, I, I usually try and post like a cute picture of my dog. Uh, if you're curious as, as to why, like, if anyone can please explain to me why Baby Nut was trending on Twitter can the last not? time no. that I opened it up, like, please. No. Like, explain not. to me the Baby Nut. Or, or not. It's fine. They don't have to. You don't have to, you don't have to explain to me the baby nut, but I'm just going to say the words baby nut again. Why? So it's trending? Yeah, so then we'll be trending. All right, sure. Why not? Um, so besides that, um, our next episode is going to be something that Christina has most of, most of the notes on, which is our between the time skip thing. And I'm just going to give you all a little hint of the campaign name. Oh, okay. Which is Raising the Legion Sanguinary. And I'm going to say it follows Brendan and mine and a group of our friends' characters through Joe's campaign as we play Abyssals. For the first and forsaken lion. And that's all I'm going to say. All right. So, as always, just remember to let those good dice roll.